0: 4th of November, 2020. I have no election results to announce to you today. We're going to lead off this morning where we need to begin, and that is in the Word of God. Uh, We are committed to being in the Word of God before we get out there into the world that God so loves. Uh, The Set Apart Conference is coming up, and so I thought I would use the Romans 12 passage that the Set Apart Conference um, is highlighting because, well, apropos to every day, Maybe a particularly uh, good passage of Scripture for us to reflect on this morning. So from Romans chapter 12, picking up at verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, although I know that's going to be hard for you if you only had like four hours of sleep last night. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit Do not overcome uh, by evil, but overcome evil with good. We are going to seek to live into the reality of what it means to be a Christian in the world today in the context of November the 4th, 2020, uh, the day upon which you may have thought the presidential election in the United States of America would be complete. But um, alas, that's not quite the case. And we've been talking about that in the lead up to the election, that it was unlikely that it would be decided on the night. Uh, And so we're going to continue our election conversation. We're going to do so with David French from the Dispatch. Now, it occurs to me that David French could be anywhere talking with anyone this morning, reflecting on the election and where we are, uh, helping the nation to move forward together. But guess what? He's here with us. That's right. All right. All things election next with David French. We'll be right back. Joining me now, David French. You can find him at thedispatch.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at David A. French. David, good morning. Good morning. So there's a lot of people who would um, feel sleep deprived if they had um, only gone to bed, uh, you know, less than a literal handful of hours ago. But I feel like your military <laughs> service has prepared you for this. Well,
2: well that and the the jolt of adrenaline that you get the the instant you reopen your web browser and <laughs> and the tabs come up and you see what's happened in the last three hours since you went to bed so
0: yeah so here's uh, what where, it, an amazing it, night it, totally amazing here's where I would love to begin with you um because you have uh served in the u s military you do know what real war is, you do know what a real existential threat is, um so maybe we could just begin with a brief uh, French press commentary on the fact that this is not war, my fellow Americans are not my mortal enemies, and this election does not pose an existential threat.
2: Could we just start there? Well, you know, one of the things that's been so encouraging, actually, is we have this unprecedented turnout. Uh, When all this is said and done, more people have voted than have ever voted before in the midst of a pandemic and things have gone remarkably smoothly um there were some pauses overnight short pauses in some areas of the US as they stopped counting votes uh people needed sleep but now many of them are restarting here as the morning goes on and so this is this has gone uh much more smoothly as far as the actual counting of the votes than a lot of people expected and yes it's going to be intense yes there's going to be litigation um, we 're going to have political controversies, but you know we we're the American democracy the American Republic is functioning and actually functioning well right now it 's not a failure when the polls are wrong that 's not a failure of the republic it 's the republic working we that 's why you have an election day rather than have uh just settle this thing on polling averages.
0: Right. There's a reason we play the game. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay, so uh, what do we know this morning? I have not um, I have not actually briefed um, our friends who are listening right now. I have not briefed them in on where things stand right now. And I want to remind our podcast listeners, you're going to listen to this after the fact. And so um, the ground may have shifted some uh, in terms of what David and I are about to talk about. But, David, what do we know this morning about the presidential election and the balance in the U.S. Senate?
2: Yeah, well, what we know so far is it, it's it's looking like uh, the Senate looks like the easier thing to call. It's looking as if the uh, Republicans are hanging on to their majority. Uh, Susan Collins is resilient here. You've had um, a number of—you've had a Republican pickup in, in Alabama, for example, uh, Republicans holding in Montana. It looks like Republicans are going to hold in North Carolina, although it's very, very, very close. So it looks like the Senate will probably be Republican. The presidential race is razor. I mean, the, the margins are razor thin. Uh, now, not so much in the popular vote. It looks like Joe Biden is is going to win the popular vote, uh, probably when all votes are counted by more than Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. But when it comes to the states where it matters, the electoral vote, um, Joe Biden has a very very slim lead in Wisconsin after the Milwaukee vote started to come in a more substantial lead in Arizona and Nevada, but again, very slim Georgia. He is trailing uh, by again, a 1.2 points, Michigan trailing by uh, about almost five points. But again, the, the urban counties in Michigan have not come in yet. Uh, Atlanta, all of Atlanta has not come in yet. In Pennsylvania, he's trailing pretty substantially, but most of Philadelphia hasn't come in. And so, uh, and again, North Carolina, very, very close. So as of right now, if you're looking at the electoral votes that are Democratic or um, have been called dem- for the Democrats or lean Democratic, you're a little shy of 270. If you're um, looking at all the electoral votes that uh, have been called Republican and lean Republican— a little shy of 270, and it's going to really depend basically on, on Michigan, Pennsylvania, Georgia at this point.
0: Okay. Um, I would like to uh, play a uh, what I'm going to call the instant version of the French press. <laughs> so uh, here was a, uh, a sentence from last night in the room I was sitting in. I hate waiting. <laughs> I'm just going to invite well, David French to reflect on the need for patience and why that's a virtue in the midst of all
2: this. Yeah, you know, I, I uh, we all hate waiting. I mean, you know, it's funny, one of the after Florida in 2000, it's almost like Florida has become like the the seal team 6 of uh, vote counting and we had Florida, we knew Florida early in the evening while so many other states it just seemed agonizingly slow. But hold on to your hats, because Pennsylvania, uh, all the votes aren't even in yet. Uh, Pennsylvania, your votes that arrive up to three days after um, are going to be counted. Um, and Wisconsin, where it looks like Joe Biden has, has uh, inched into the lead. Uh, again, you're going to have an enormous number of, uh, you know, Wisconsin A federal judge and the Supreme Court, a federal judge tried to extend the voting, the the, uh, absentee and mail-in balloting receipt deadline. Supreme Court blocked that. So Wisconsin, we may know more uh, sooner. North Carolina, we're going to be waiting on votes that come in for several days. So get ready. I do think um, that this time tomorrow, we'll have a much more complete picture, but I doubt it will be certain even then. Uh, this is something that may play out over the next several days, and there will be litigation. There absolutely will be lit- litigation. Uh, you, there will be no doubt about that. And so we might actually have a scenario where the Supreme Court has to make a key ruling here.
0: I'm talking with David French. Um, if you do not already, uh, you need to be reading what he's writing at com. You can also follow him on Twitter at David A. French. Uh, we're going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to talk about how do we move forward as a faithful Christian. Uh, we're also going to talk about. I'm going to ask him to reflect on some ballot measures across the country, including the um, the vote in Oregon to decriminalize the possession of uh, of some some pretty significant drugs. All right, all of that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. You got- Continuing my conversation with David French, you can check out what he's writing at thedispatch.com. Um, all right, David, let's talk about, you know, where we go and how we go forward um, following the election whenever it actually ends. So how do we move forward as faithful Christians?
2: Yeah, I mean, the first thing we have to know and understand and really take into our heart is that God is still on the throne. I mean, the, Amen. Uh, the, this he, he he is sovereign here. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of Christians who are very worried about the outcome, whether depending on whether each one of them wins. I mean, they're worried about a Trump—some are worried about a Trump uh, outcome. It looks like, again, a very large majority of particularly white evangelicals voted uh, for Trump, and there's a lot of concern about a Biden win. And what's interesting, from a policy basis, as far as what will happen to change policy in the United States of America uh, with likely, I mean, if you had to bet right now who was going, what was going to be the final outcome, it might be a very slight favorite that Biden might pull this out while it looks pretty solidly that the Republicans will, this Republican Senate will remain. You'll probably have an awful lot of policy status quo uh, for the next four years. So these, these fears that people had, or at least the next two years before the midterms, the, the, the a lot of the fears that people had that America could swing dramatically on a policy basis one way or the other, this is not a result that says that at all. This is a result that says America is very, very closely divided, very deeply divided. And so what you're probably going to see from a policy basis is a whole lot of status quo if Joe Biden goes ahead and wins. And if Donald Trump wins, you'll probably see a lot of policy status quo as well because the House is gonna remain democratic. So this is a stalemate um, outcome. Of course, there will be a president sworn in, whether it's Trump uh, sworn in for a second term or Biden sworn in for a first term, but this is a real stalemate. And I think the, the, there is a much greater danger here of bitterness and mistrust than there is of revolutionary change in some way that sort of upsets the balance of power between church and state, so to speak. But or even or upsets um, or dramatically changes, for example, abortion law. This is a looks like a policy stalemate and a symbol of our division, not a symbol of a revolution for one side or the other.
0: I think that's um, <clears throat> I think that's not only right and accurate that helps us kind of find our footing in terms of what's the Christian's response when things are closely and deeply divided. Um, And so how do we as Christians find the redemptive voice? How do we serve as peacemakers? How do we um, not lead to greater fretting How do we not deepen division? Like those kinds of things, I think um, should be in front of each of us and all of us. Hey, David, I would love to have you um, reflect on a few ballot measures. And I mean, there were ballot measures all across the country. A lot of people lost sight of that in the midst of you know just the presidential election. But thank you for bringing the Senate into view as well today. Um, These this ballot measure in Oregon. Um, Oregon voters have decriminalized possession, uh, not only, I mean, of marijuana, where marijuana was already legal in in Oregon, um, but apparently some some much harder drugs, at least if they are in small amounts. Really, just from a legal viewpoint, when we reach the place where we have people in particular states decriminalizing things that the federal government still says are illegal, can you just help us understand legally where that puts us?
2: Yeah, you know, that's an interesting question, because if the federal government still criminalizes a substance, guess what? It's criminal (laughs) and you can be prosecuted for it under federal law. Now, if it's decriminalized at the state level, what that practically means, what that means is a practical matter is You will see a lot fewer prosecutions because most prosecutions in the state or in this in this nation are state prosecutions. But I think at a broader level, what we're seeing is we're beginning to see a cultural move towards de- decriminalization, uh, certainly of marijuana. We've seen that sort of from coast to coast. But I think there's an um, increasing concern uh, from a lot of Americans that the way to deal with drug abuse and use is not through incarceration, but through treatment. And then there is a, a real concern that we incarcerate too many people in the United States. So I think that this is part of that. It's an element of that concern that maybe the way to deal with drug use uh, is, especially at at lower levels, is through treatment and not incarceration. And I think you're beginning to see that movement throughout the country.
0: It's going to be, I think, a a significant conversation for Christians to be having, um, because that is a space that Christians, I think, have a growing level of comfort moving into in in terms of how do we utterly reform, completely reform right. our criminal justice system, um, particularly with a with a recognition that it has criminalized particular people groups, um, yeah, in in ways that it has not affected others. So I do think that's a huge conversation going forward. All right, uh, my last question today: a lot of people are. Um, uh looking to um comfort themselves like there's going to be a lot of uh of you know how do i just sort of get through this? so this
2: is a um this is a personal question what is your comfort food <laughs> my comfort you know it's funny i i don't really have a reliable comfort food i've got to be honest um hmm. but i i i you know when push comes to shove you go to some old standbys like uh ice cream and i'm flavor what flavor I I mint chocolate chip, mm-hmm. and I'm I have to admit I'm rediscovering the glories of fried chicken. <gasps> I I have Interesting. been I have been going to Popeyes, my favorite KFC. Uh, Yeah, it's now I can't do it too much. I mean if I'm 51 years oh, old, right. and you consume yeah. too much fried food, and you're you're and you have to take a nap,
0: which is yeah, it's challenging. <laughs> so well, okay, well, so um. Uh, maybe you don't have a particular comfort food, although ice cream and fried chicken, those are good choices. Um, <laughs> uh, do you have another sort of, here is how I um, reliably deal with the stress, the tension. Are you a runner? Like what's going on that enables David French to sort of run at the pace he runs?
2: Well, you know, I, I do run. I try to stay fit. But I, the more important than that is I try to keep perspective, um, one of the things that's really harming our body politic right now is we exaggerate the consequences of political change in this country. We we have an inordinate fear of our political opponents. And, and one of the things that's just a reality is that um, most Americans have an incorrect view of their political opponents. They believe they're more extreme than they really are. And the way that we run our campaigns, we sort of stoke that fear of our opponents. And I you know I know so you know I know so many people on both sides of the aisle to real uh, to understand that yeah there there are things I profoundly disagree with on the part of my political opponents but in perspective, in this country our difference, differences are not that great we are artificially creating a greater level of difference in fear, and hysteria. And then I'm reminded of Micah six eight. I mean the triple interlocking obligations of what does the Lord require of you to act justly you know, to seek what's right in politics, certainly, but also to love mercy, to have mercy and grace for our opponents and to walk humbly, to realize that our country is a complicated place and our problems are complicated problems and nobody has and no one side has a monopoly on the solutions. And so maintaining that perspective, I think, really helps keep me out of the sort of the cycles of a fear and hysteria that really seem to dominate our politics right now. It's a key perspective and understand that if you just consume partisan news, you're going to have a really wrong view about your opponent. You're going to think that they're worse than they really are.
0: David French is the author of Divided We Fall. He and I talked at length about the book on September the 22nd. You can go back and grab that podcast at MyFaithRadio.com. Um, you can find him every single day at thedispatch.com. David French, thank you so much for getting up early to join us on Mornings with Carmen. Well,
2: it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: really appreciate it. We'll be right back. Okay, we uh, we talked briefly uh, yesterday about Hurricane Ada churning out in the, uh, in the Caribbean. Well, Hurricane Ada... Arrived at the coast of Nicaragua and Honduras yesterday as a Category 4 storm, now um, lingering over those impoverished, impoverished Central American countries, uh, where it's actually expected to remain for the next few days. By the end of the week, forecasters predict that Ada will then re-emerge into the Caribbean, <clears throat> basically turning around on her heels, strengthen over the warm waters of the Gulf, uh, where. ADA will proceed across Cuba and potentially South Florida. So there is a storm, um, not just uh, brewing and making landfall in Central America, um, but a storm that's going to continue to pose a threat to to human life and certainly to uh, human flourishing. So let us be praying today for the people of Nicaragua, Honduras, Belize, others affected by not only torrential rains and very, very powerful winds. But let's just remember, they don't really have any infrastructure to deal with, um, to deal with all of this. We're going to turn to headlines from around the world with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. She is up next. We'll be right back.
2: I grew up knowing my dad loved me, but I never heard him say it. And it left a big hole in my heart. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Words have a powerful impact on people. Your verbal affirmation can give your family confidence, security, and a sense of warmth they can't get anywhere else. We've always been told that actions speak louder than words, but that's not always true. Sometimes saying, I love you, can speak to the heart of your child louder than any gift or action could. So play an active role in your teen's security and confidence. Go tell your teen and the rest of your family that you love them. Dad, Mom, say the three words to your teen. I love you. Want to hear Mark in person? For a list of upcoming events, go to parentingtodaysteens.org. That's parentingtodaysteens.org.
0: Joining me now, Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find uh, the links to the stories we're going to talk about today at missionnews.org. Ruth, welcome back.
1: Good morning. Good morning. <clears throat> Good morning. How are Good morning. you? Good morning. Good
0: <laughs> morning. Well, well, I have a little tickle in my throat. Um, so if I go to coughing, I will push my cough button and you will just have to keep talking. There's the <laughs> oh, warning in oh, advance.
1: We're both in trouble. Uh, okay. Last week. I was on I almost lost my voice, so.
0: Oh, well, I'm glad that you have a voice today. Amen. We'll just we'll we'll start with a praise to God for that. Right. Okay. Um, an earthquake has rocked Turkey and Greece. Um let's uh uh let's talk about that. Um it's a it's a pretty shocking and surprising um I mean for those of us who don't think about exactly what's going on beneath the surface of the ocean right? We just don't think about the fact that we live on these shifting plates. Um, but that's part of the story of what's going on here. So fill us in um, on what has happened and then how Christians are responding in the region.
1: Well, Friday, this this quake struck, um, and the area it struck hit both parts of Turkey and parts of Greece. In fact, it, it triggered a small tsunami. Um, and uh, as as things, the aftershocks started to settle down. People were going, kind of going in and trying to, to find the survivors because several of the buildings, well, lots of buildings in the in the um, epicenter had collapsed. So there were people who were trapped under the rubble. Um, initially, what we were hearing was the, the death toll was fairly low um, and hopes were starting to fade uh, for survivors that they might find. But uh, according to what I just saw, um, today's the fourth, uh, maybe on the a day and a half ago, uh, firefighters actually were able to rescue two children from the rubble. And there was another man who was rescued from the rubble. So the the searches for uh, the survivors have redoubled. Now, you're talking about an area, too, that has seen a lot of upheaval um, just because you have the Syrian refugees involved with that because of the location of, of the city and its proximity to the water. Um, Greece also uh, dealing with the same issues. But, um, The more damage occurred in in Turkey. Now, what we're hearing is that uh, our partners, Asian Access, have been able to get some information from their partner, from the uh, the new church network that they're working with. Um, Asian Access has just begun its work in in Turkey in Izmir. Uh, It's about three months old. Uh, in terms of the training that they've been able to offer. So what they're hearing from the network of the churches is that uh, they're, they've already mobilized and they're getting out there to help clear out rubble. They're kind of trying to help clear up the streets and also providing the humanitarian aid that's needed in the immediate emergency. So food and water, uh, blankets, because it is getting cold, um, and trying to erect temporary places of shelter while people figure out what's next. Um, in in the the context in which they're doing this uh people often ask them why are you helping me and it gives these church network uh leaders an opportunity to just say because you know we love you as Christ loves you and you know um We just wanted to share that with you. Um, And there's no expectation of of further conversation, but it often occurs. And so this turns into an opportunity to share the hope that is in Christ. Given the context that that Turkey is— you know, the backdrop of all of the difficulties uh, in the past, uh, and, and more recently, uh, some of the government crackdowns on, on Christians, this is a bold move. Um, persecution has been on the rise in Turkey. And what we've seen is uh, lately, the government's been expelling foreign missionaries. Um, they've been cracking down on, on the indigenous churches because uh, they're not Muslim. And so Mm -hmm. even though there's supposed to be freedom of religion in Turkey, what we are seeing is kind of a backlash against the growth of the church. So um, just be praying for these church leaders as they are out there being the hands and feet of Christ in a disaster, in a time of disaster, um, that they'll speak boldly, they'll speak um, kindly and, and in truth. And that uh, God will use that opportunity to turn people's hearts t- toward him, regardless of what happens. Um, you know, obviously, we don't want to, like, say, go out there and break the law. But um, the the reality is sometimes to be the hands and feet of Christ uh, and to speak the gospel, the truth, the truth of the gospel, um, means that they're going to run afoul of some kind of law mm-hmm. enforcement. So let's um
0: <clears throat> let's talk about a good news story that you have posted at uh at missionnews.org. World mission taking water and audio bibles into Kenyan quote no man's zone. To talk with us about what's happening here. This is a good news story.
1: Yeah, this is really cool. Um usually when you think of Kenya, you're not thinking uh unreached people groups, but uh, World Mission has found a couple of groups that have really they they fit the definition of unreached and they they live among the pokat tribe um which is near the border of kenyan somalia and uh there is they're engaged in a fierce battle for resources with the turkana tribe um and so you're dealing with uh lack of water you're dealing with lack of grass you have cattle uh that are being moved around to try to graze and things like that so you kind of have a, a farmer and rancher dynamic going that has been decades old. Um, elections a couple of years ago was supposed to kind of help t- tame that. Uh, so some of the worst of the, this, the fighting has settled down a little bit, but it's still considered a no man's land in that strip of land in between that is trying to keep the peace, really. Um, and in that strip of land, world missions people are finding people who've never heard the hope of Christ. And so they go in there with water, they go in there with some supplies, they go in there with the audio Bibles called the treasure, and they share the hope of Jesus Christ. When they went in there, you know, people were asking them, are you sure you want to go there? Because this is where the worst of the activity is happening. And they said, well, that's why we have to go there, because nobody else will. And so when they get in there, they're able to share that. And what was interesting was that uh, while they were doing this distribution with the clean water and the audio Bibles, a poke warrior who was carrying a gun, like an AK-47, came out to see what they were doing um, because, you know, there's there's a crowd gathering. Uh, World Mission's team brought in water filters to show them how to, to be able to filter some of the water that did exist. And the guy was amazed at what he was seeing. He saw clean water coming out of the filter. And after seeing how dirty it was going into the filter, he, he put some things together and he told the World Mission team, if your God can do this to me, I want to know him. And that's mm. why go there. Wow,
0: <clears throat> I mean right, it's just awesome. Let's just remind people to continue to be praying for this region of the world. They are um, still dealing with the uh, after effects of waves of locust infestations and uh, a years long drought. So we certainly want to be lifting up ministries that are reaching out in substantial ways uh, into communities like this one in, uh, in the border regions of kenya somalia we're going to be right back ruth kramer and i are going to turn our attention uh, to what is happening with uh, typhoon goni i really wanted to say you know like it we i wanted it to be gone gone goni but it's not it's goni uh and that conversation is up next Rejoining my conversation with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find the headline we are discussing right now at missionnews.org. Ruth, tell us about uh, how the Filipino churches are responding to this uh, super typhoon, um, Goni.
1: This is actually a neat story. Um, you know, right now the, the concern is uh, Super Typhoon Goni has left Vietnam, has left the Philippines, and it's on its way to Vietnam, which has already weathered a couple of major storms. So the 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 team from Asian Access in the Philippines is saying, please be praying for our brothers and sisters in uh, Vietnam because they're going to have it pretty bad in the next day or so uh, that storm is expected to make landfall actually tomorrow, tomorrow in central Vietnam. Um, but in, in the Philippines, uh, it, it actually was the, a good news thing because it, it was downgraded from a hurricane, a really super hurricane, into a super typhoon. Um, and that was good news because it just means it it's not as strong as it could be, even though super typhoon Goni broke all the records. I mean, it was like one of the strongest storms that the, the islands have seen since 2013, since Haiyan came through. And um, it, it just devastated the region. However, because the Philippines is used to having storms like this, they evacuated the areas that were likely to be hit the most in anticipation of what was going to happen with the damages. Also, um, a lot of believers were getting together and praying and asking God to turn the storm, asking God for his mercy uh, to spare the Philippines from the, the severe damages. And our our partner there, uh, Herman Muldez, says um, they were all praying and asking the Lord's mercy, and God heard their prayers. And that's something they're enjoying right now because the storm kind of did this this— unexplained move, and it just kind of went off course from what was projected and what it really should have been doing. Um, sometimes that happens, but in this case, believers in the Philippines are saying it's because God answered our prayer and he spared us the worst of the damage. So while there has been severe damage, it's far less than what they were expecting to happen. Um, in, in this case right now, they're dealing with the aftermath of damage assessment and trying to figure out how to get things back to normal. This is a region that is used to storm damage. So they kind of have a a protocol to follow. Um, and right now that's what everybody's looking at. However, when you have a situation like COVID-19 also in play, it really poses a severe challenge to the relief efforts. So as the churches are getting together and getting those relief supplies together and, and figuring out the best way to get this out to the survivors in in the immediate 24 hours after the storm hits, um, uh, it's it's a challenge to figure out how to keep people healthy, how to not spread the virus, and and do this all within the guidelines that are are sent down by the government. And so, just be praying for these people. Um, God has done some amazing things there, and they're sharing the story because they're so happy. They're 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 just ecstatic about the obvious answered prayer, and they're talking about it with anybody who's going to listen. Um, so it gives them an opportunity to share the gospel in in a, a stark contrast to the disaster, to the damage that they are in the midst of, um, be praying for them um, because they are bold, they're excited, they have opportunity, and they're going to need some resources in the near future.
0: Ruth, it's a, <clears throat> it is a reminder that um, when we are kind of consumed and obsessed here in the United States with things that are within our terrestrial borders or only storms that threaten us, Uh, be those, you know, physical storms like hurricanes or political storms like the one we're in the midst of right now, um, we have a responsibility to not lose sight of what's happening around the world. And I really feel like what you're doing at Mission Network News is so imperative because you help us not only remain connected to, but aware of the challenges that people are facing around the globe and how Christians are faithfully responding and how we can come alongside them not only in prayer, but Um, but with the provision of resources necessary to, you know, to respond in ways that that are appropriate. Let's let's talk about what's going on in Thailand. I can almost assure you that my listeners do not know about this story. So bring us up to speed.
1: Well, right now, Thailand is a little bit in chaos. It's either chaos or it's not. Um, What you have is a bunch of protesters that are very upset over what's happening uh, from the in the government, um, they're 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 dealing with uh, a similar kind of situation with elections. They have like the red shirts and the yellow shirts, who represent the the main opposing political parties in Thailand, and sort of a third party came into play, where uh, it was a party that was kind of. I guess maybe a little bit more centrist, and it was very um appealing to young people and so they all kind of joined in on the the that new party and After the most recent elections um in on in i don't know February, something like that, the new political party, which is the future forward party um, came in third they showed up on the radar and it surprised everybody and then the government disbanded the the political party that's what the protests are about the young people are saying hey my vote was supposed to count you promised me my vote, my vote was gonna count why did you basically take it away why did you completely nullify what my voice was in this I thought you said we had a free and fair election that's what they're in the streets protesting um, there's also talk that it could turn into a coup um, you know, Thailand's no stranger to coups, and and the concern is that will tip the country into complete uh, anarchy because of everything that's going on right now between the economic issues and COVID nineteen, and now you've got this political crisis. Uh, the Thai partners are just asking us to be praying, uh, asking us to be praying that the church there shines the light of Christ in their neighborhoods and their communities, and, and that they're brokers of peace because when this thing goes into violence, which it has already started, it's not good for society. It's not good for anybody. And believers are trying to, you know, just kind of be a uh, a voice of common sense in the midst of all of this and and yet people are so upset about what's happening they're just not able to hear those messages so just pray for an opportunity for believers for the leaders and of the church to be wise about what they're doing to rise above the crowd and display the characteristics of Christ in the midst of the challenge
0: amen right i mean that that is a that is an amen that is Absolutely um, who we are called to be and how we are called to bear witness in the midst of um, all kinds of challenges. I'm, I've been reminded in recent days, Ruth, that there are Christians around the world living um, under the authority of governments that are awful and repressive and totalitarian and genuinely uh I don't know, is persecutorial a word? You know, the, the persecution that happens through government agency. Um, mm-hmm. and, and as Christians here in the United States, freely go to the polls, freely await the outcome of, uh, of, a, of an election process that um, is really extraordinary. Um, it's good to be reminded that Christians can and do live under all kinds of uh, of government influences, and and then Christians who have the ability to do so um, can provide resources for those Christians who are living in places and spaces where they are not free.
1: Let me throw in one thing before we have to close here. Yeah. Because I just want us to be encouraged. We know that you know our situation is is fraught with tension because of what's at stake here. Um, I want to share with you that when I was talking to some believers in Canada and I was talking to believers in uh, Lebanon yesterday, um, they let me know, they wanted to pass on to everybody that that is able to hear this, that they are in prayer for the United States, for the U.S. church, Big C church, um, as this situation comes to a head, that we will be wise as serpents and gentle as doves, that we will, you know, uh, uh, do justice and walk humbly with our lord um that we will be the light of christ that we need to be in a time where uh civility is uh waning um, mm-hmm. So just know that there are there are pockets of believers. Uh, the church in Lebanon is actually set up prayer vigils to be praying for American Christians and American mm-hmm. church big C, um, as we go through what we're dealing dealing with. And you got to keep in mind that their government is really at the brink of failure. So they're in the midst of some th- some really big crises, and yet they're taking time out to pray for us. Same thing with our Canadian brothers and sisters; they're taking time out to pray for us.
0: Ruth. Um... Thank you. That is an encouraging word. It's humbling. It's a wonderful reminder that we have uh, brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world. Let us be praying for them, even as in these days they are praying for us. Ruth, as always, thank you for bringing us the good news and sometimes the hard news to hear from around the world. You can find Ruth and the headlines we talked about today and so much more at missionnews.org. We'll be right back. Let us be praying today um, for our brothers and sisters in Christ, our neighbors uh, and friends and those who live halfway around the world and those who live just across the northern border. Um, uh, I've just become aware this morning that Tim Chalice, whose blog I read almost every day, um, his son died yesterday at Boyce College uh, in Louisville, Kentucky. And so we want to be lifting up the Chalice family. We want to be lifting up the Boyce uh, community Let's just be lifting up one another in prayer today. Things are fragile. People living right on the edge. Um, just, uh, I just want us to be mindful of the fragility of life and the blessings, um, the blessings we have as people who know the Lord um, and we know where we're going to wake up when we die uh, in, in His very presence. And let us have a heart that pounds today, that pounds today for affection for those who do not know Him. We'll be right back.